welcome to the second season of our triune pod we are still preparing you to praise join me the reverend nick comiskey and the reverend bendy hart for a conversation about low-key theology lived experience and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the psalms we hope it's an inspiring maybe a bit irreverent but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some god time for another episode of OTP, our train pod. Ben, how are you, man? Hey, I, I ran into at least three of your parishioners in Tennessee this weekend, and it was pretty awesome. I was walking across this bridge and these two people walk by. So these people say hi, and then I walk on and then they say, are you Ben? And so I turn around and I'm like, wow, who knows me here? And they say, oh, we listened to our triune pod. We never miss an episode. We're going to Nick's church. It was it was pretty surreal. That's amazing. Some random town and outside of Swanee University. Yeah, that's right. So, there was a wedding there uh, this weekend. Uh, two very beloved members of our church uh, were there. Well, got married, and then a number of people from our church were at the wedding. So I know I got some texts on on Friday or Saturday. It's like small world, man. Small world. But anyway, Ben. For unrelated this week, I thought maybe we just you know drop some books. Hashtag awesome knowledge. Uh, what are you reading? Anything interesting? Anything to, to share with the crowd? Yeah, I am reading George Saunders' A Swim in a Pond in the Rain, which is his class on Russian literature, Russian short stories. And it's awesome. It's full of life lessons. I feel like I've learned so much about Chekhov and some of these other great You're, you're always Russian saying, writers. I need to know more about Chekhov. And finally, <laughs> you found the book for it. Finally. But, you know, Saunders is famous for his short stories. He wrote that Lincoln and the Bardo. And here he's kind of doing what his colleague Mary Carr did. And that's essentially make one of their most popular classes into a book. That's cool. You know, he's been working it. on it for 30 years. So it's I love pretty awesome. Sanders, man. I've never read that, but Lincoln and the Bardo. Is that how you say it? Sanders? Saunders? I think it's Saunders. It's okay. Saunders. Okay. Lincoln and the Bardo. And the one short Civil War Land. Is that what that's called? Mm-hmm. That's so great. That's, yeah. I think, the best one. Yeah. It yeah. is like arresting. I'll always remember where I was when I read a couple of those stories. Like the imagery just sticks with you. It's like Flannery O'Connor or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I think what's great about this book is you're not just learning about these Russian authors, which is kind of what I thought it would be. And it's like, oh, it'll be great because it's him. But it, it makes you think about your life. Mm. So it's he's like, a, there's like three or four podcasts I listen to where he is a guest every year or every other year. And he is a awesome, awesome interview. Listen, I mean, he bleeds his Zenness, his like ability mm-hmm. to be present and the way he thinks about his craft, whatever he's ostensibly being asked about, he kind of, that stuff kind of comes out and it's just like, man, I want to be in this guy's orbit. He, he's, yeah, he's such a compelling individual. So maybe our listeners just, they don't need to read the book. They just need to find a podcast. Yeah. Um, he's on it. long, he's on long form a lot. And uh, Ezra Klein, if you want to check it out. Yeah. So what about you? Well, I'm reading this book. It's called the last empire the final days of the Soviet Union by a a Ukrainian historian whose name I will not even try and pronounce, but he teaches at Harvard. He's a very, very well-renowned. He holds some very august chair at Harvard. And it's basically a retelling. I don't, I I mean, how much do you know about the final days of the Soviet Union? Uh, 
I remember taking some classes with uh, Dr. Tilford where I don't think I learned very much. Yeah, but, uh... I, I know. <laughs> I, I knew next to nothing. And I heard a very famous Russian journalist talk about if there's one, one book to read to understand the present crisis in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, then you should read this book. So I bought it and I'm reading it. And it's basically a retelling of the final four months of the Soviet Union. And the basic argument of the book is that what led to the dissolution of the empire was just that it was an empire and it was not able to kind of maintain its global reach where I kind of had this relatively simplistic Star Wars, Ronald Reagan. One of the main arguments is like, we didn't really want the Soviet Union to be dissolved as quickly as it did because we were very appropriately concerned about nuclear warheads just getting loose. And so the speed with which it disintegrated was very alarming for the Bush administration at the time. And the main catalyst for the dissolution of the empire was Ukrainian independence. And so the kind of subtext of the book is, yeah, this kind of long stewing, not that they're trying to write historical wrong, but like just the way that Ukrainian identity is this complicated and from perspective of Russia is a threat in some ways. I don't know. It, it's a very well researched, but also it's a very readable book. It reads a New Yorker story or something, you know, gotcha. there's, a, there's a narrative. It's not just. It's got some Jill Lepore vibes. Yeah. It's also a great yeah. accessible historian. What's hard is all, all the names are nine letters with tons of consonants. So I'm just like, is that that K-Z-X-C-H or the oh, other yeah. one? You know, it's like, I'm always. Yeah, yeah. That's like reading Dolskevsky. I probably mispronounce every name. So yes. if I ever wanted to have like an educated conversation with someone, we wouldn't be yeah. able to understand each other. All right. Psalm 30 is the appointed Psalm for this Sunday, the third Sunday of Easter. And I know you have some awesome things to say about it. But first, let me read it. I will exalt you, O Lord, because you have lifted me up and not have not let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you restored me to health. You brought me up, O Lord, from the dead. You restored my life as I was going down to the grave. Sing to the Lord, you servants of his. Give thanks for the remembrance of his holiness. For his wrath endures but the twinkling of an eye, his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may spend the night, but joy comes in the morning. While I felt secure, I said, I shall never be disturbed. You, Lord, with your favor, made me as strong as the mountains. Then you hid your face, and I was filled with fear. I cried to you, O Lord. I pleaded with the Lord, saying, what profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you or declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my wailing into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Therefore, my heart sings to you without ceasing. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Well, I think right off the bat, we should say that Psalm 30 is prayer that is holy praise. I'm obviously stealing that from a commentator, but I really like that. There is a prayer here that is holy praise. It's another psalm of deliverance. Something has gone wrong. It appears that the author was very sick and the Lord restored him to health. In verse three, you brought me up, O Lord, from the dead. You restored my life as I was going down to the grave. We were talking about last week, death is a realm here. Sheol is this place. The wording is going down to the grave. The wording is also, how will anyone praise you if we go down to this realm? So God has healed him. He's giving thanks. 
And there's all these back and forths, right? There are the, I was dead. You brought me back to life. And then there are the great, you know, praise and worship song lines about how, you know, oh yeah, I, I can't, me. <laughs> I can't, I cannot read those words without just thinking of those. And in my mind's eye, seeing people jump up and down. Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks yeah. to you forever. A lot of the themes of this psalm are replicated in other psalms. I think one thing that is unique here that is to me just so true of my experience is in verse seven of the prayer book version. While I felt secure, I said, I shall never be disturbed. Then you hid your face and I was filled with fear. (laughs) The way that things going well, hashtag thriving can just so, it's almost like the moment you have a sense of, ah, finally have a handle on things. All those things that used to cause me anxiety or all the uncertainty that I used to struggle with. Now that's all resolved and I am just on autopilot here, things are great. It's been the next day, something completely outside your control, cast off your equilibrium and you're in the throes of it all over again. That I don't know about you, but that just feels so true of my experience. Yeah. I find interesting that the enemy is equated with death. It seems pretty clear here that at least originally this Psalm is talking about health, about being sick. When I think of enemy, I think of the Philistines or something like that. And there are Psalms, of course, where the Philistines are at their, at the gates. And you could see how this Psalm would be reappropriated for when Israel is in trouble. And there's almost this like kind of bartering with God, right? If you don't deliver me, then who's going to praise you? You want to be praised, right? And, and part of the Psalm seems to be showing us is that salvation, while not less, than being delivered from death. Its fruition results in praise. And here we have, and we're in the Easter season. I think this is why this psalm is in the Easter season. The Lord has conquered death once and for all so that we might forever praise him. That's part of God's plan. That's part of salvation. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, but isn't it fair to say that the enemy, as it were, in this psalm, is God. It's God's wrath that is on view here. It's God hiding his face that Mm. fills the psalmist with fear as if to say, you don't want to make God the the author of evil, but I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but it's almost like this psalmist in this particular instance is interpreting his misfortune as something that has been given to him by God in order to root his joy where true joys are to be found. It, It almost feels like you know, Hebrews 12, like that kind of that discipline from God, which makes me uncomfortable to talk about. And I, you know, I'm weary to kind of like attribute to other people's misfortune. Oh, God must be chastising you, but like it or not, that is a biblical idea. And like it or not, that does seem to be what's happening in the Psalm. It's like, I felt secure. I said, I should never be disturbed. You Lord with your favor, maybe as strong as the mountains, then you hid your face. And I was filled with fear. This, I might be over-interpreting this, but the picture that comes into my mind is a relatively self-assured self-confidence that is not tied to God and how God does shake us a bit to remind us, well, you have to really root your, your confidence and faith in me because any other foundation will not endure. What is that yeah, crazy? No, is that, is that too Calvinist for you, Ben DeHart? Or what you- <laughs> Maybe a little bit. No, <laughs> <laughs> no it, it does seem that there is a super strong confidence in God's providence yeah. in this psalm. But I th- think the way I would interpret it is what you said, verse 7, while I felt secure, I said, I shall never be disturbed. Then I was disturbed. 
But now that I realize that God is before me, with me, in front of me, I shall never be moved. So when I don't see your face, now I will no longer be filled with fear. Now my life will be thanksgiving regardless of what comes. I, I have been delivered and now I trust that I will remain and continue to be delivered. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. But it, yeah, I, I think a high I mean, view of providence that's birthed out of this real experience of a brush with death. I, I actually would say it's something you should never try and diagnose. Hmm. If you get that call from a doctor you never want to get, or something happens with your children or some form of suffering that is so not easily attributable to the wrongdoing of any one person, I would never counsel someone to say, well, maybe God is judging you, <laughs> but, you know, but it does seem there's this, the language I've never read this book, but that language of like a severe mercy, you are not putting your trust in God. You're not rooting your life and joy in God. That sometimes the most merciful thing for God to do is to help to teach you to do that through trial. And whether God is the author of that trial or God is using that trial, I'm not really interested in like those philosophical debates. I just feel like on a plain sense reading of scripture, a lot of times Jesus says this sickness does not come from God, but it does seem like there are instances in which hard things can be conscripted by God to use them to teach us to put our faith and trust in him. And when we do that, it is the joy that comes in the morning. Yeah. So it's sorrow that produces joy. It's not just sorrow that we endure for the joy to come later. There's like a sweetness to it in the, even in the midst of it. And I think however we diagnose that, however we think about that, verse five, his, for his wrath endures but the twinkling of an eye, his favor for a lifetime, which reminds me of Deuteronomy, right? Yeah. yeah. I punish to the third and fourth generations, but I show love to the thousandth yeah. generation. Yeah, which no, totally is definitely not this like tit for tat karma kind of thing. But yeah, 100%. There, 100%. there is punishment. I don't know why bad things are happening. I mean, of course, it's in the fall, but however, God's behind that. And of course, I want to have a high view of the providence of God. I don't, I don't want to think that things are out of control and I can't really trust God. But yeah, punishes to the third and fourth generation, love to the thousands. His favor is for a lifetime. I guess. Yeah. No, amen. Yeah. I mean, Jesus's sorrow and grief led to joy untold. And regardless of who is the author and our suffering and grief, when we are graced with the ability to trust in Jesus, joy is on the way, inescapable. Mm -hmm. So that's Easter right there, man. I will exalt you, O Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you restored me to health. You brought me up, O Lord, from the dead. You restored my life as I was going down to the grave. Sing to the Lord, you servants of his. Give thanks for the remembrance of his holiness. For his wrath endures but the twinkling of an eye, his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may spend the night, but joy comes in the morning. While I felt secure, I said, I shall never be disturbed. You, Lord, with your favor, made me as strong as the mountains. Then you hid your face, and I was filled with fear. I cried to you, O Lord. I pleaded with the Lord, saying, What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you or declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my wailing into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Therefore, my heart sings to you without ceasing. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. 
How about that episode of Our Triune Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast.